Marta, welcome to the Step Zero podcast. You are an executive and mental coach with extensive experience in the healthcare industry, and I am very happy to have you here on board. Hey, Matteo. I'm very happy that I can be here. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, <laughs> there are quite a few topics that we wanted to unpack with you today. Um, yeah. You have, like I said, a lot of experience. You're very knowledgeable in, in many, many fields. And one in particular strike my attention, uh, specifically the area around the psychosomatic uh, body therapy and in general, the relation between body and psyche. And I was hoping that you would uh, unpack that for me. Yes, I will. I will. I love the topic and we can talk about it for hours, but we won't talk too long <laughs> for the audience. Well, look, I mean, if if uh, we start with one recording and then if we see that it's worth it, then we can we can make multiple ones. Right. Like so the door is open for for whatever length we need. And yeah. uh, Regarding regarding psychosomatic therapy, so I obviously did a little bit of research. I still feel mm. quite ignorant about the topic, um, so you have to you have to help me out here. Um, what can you tell me about the therapy and uh, and maybe even a step before that about the relation between mind and body, psyche and body? What should I know about that, uh, and what should people who have never heard of it know about this? Yeah. Okay. So the basic concept is that body and mind are interconnected and talking to each other and influencing each other all the time. So the classical medical concept um, is based somehow on physics in the mid 19th century, where the human body was seen as a machine, yeah? where the doctor, the technician comes and can exchange a part in the machine that is not working and they are isolated and not talking to each other. And psychosomatic medicine is based on a biopsychosocial model. That means your physics, your biology is interconnected to your psyche and is also interconnected to the social environment you are in. And this shows, for example, that um, there was a meta-analysis that found that 27% um, of people who have experience stress in their daily life have a higher risk of coronary heart disease for example yeah so the experience of stress is leading to a physical effect the risk of coronary heart disease um, but also uh, the experience of stress can lead people to develop a clinically significant depression and here the percentage is really high so the risk is higher by 77 percent to develop a depression but after experience, having experiencing stress so i don't want to be so, too negative here because we are all having stress and we are all experiencing stress especially in the startup industry yeah we know that um founders who are surveyed they say that this it's so competitive and a high pressure environment so that leads that 70% of founders suffer mental health problems yeah and why is this interesting for me it means that it's not the psyche, yeah, like the part of the machine again that we have to just exchange and everything will be beautiful, yeah, but everything is interconnected. So your work is causing having an effect on the body, but that means also your body can have an effect on your mental well being. This is why 
body therapy is here so interesting. So when I was working in psychosomatic medicine, we had multidiscipline and multidisciplinary team. That means we had doctors, medical doctors, we had psychologists, we had art therapy, we had music therapy, and I was responsible for the body therapy. I studied psychomotricity in a German university in Philips University, Marburg. And I was trained in the psychological diagnosis, but also in the physical relations of the body, how the muscles are functioning and how sports performance is maximized. So um, when I was guiding my patients, for example, through emotional experiencing, somatic experiencing, emotional expression, but also a lot of social interaction because I was working a lot with group therapy, this had an effect on the psychological talk therapy. Yeah? And you have a multidisciplinary team in psychosomatics because as a team, you try to solve this riddle. And every patient, every client that comes is a riddle. Now, when I work self-employed, it's for me the same. Every client that comes is a riddle for me in my coaching business. Yeah, And I try to understand why is this person experiencing what he or she is experiencing on a mental level with regard to the social environment they are in, yeah? with regard to the how they treat their body on a daily basis. Yeah. How because you know it's not only proper sleep, yeah, or the proper mindset, it's also nutrition. Yeah. It's also the, the um exercise. So we 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 try to find the missing piece in the puzzle. Hmm. Interesting. You, there's so many questions actually that I would like to ask, but there is one specifically that popped into mind as you were speaking. Would I be correct if I said that part of body therapy implies that an expert like yourself can somehow observe specific body parts? I'm thinking of maybe face expressions or posture, or um, you know, have for example a certain um detailed analysis about the muscular tissue and derive uh, from there or somehow identify the reason behind let's say mood swings could that be in any way related to the idea of psychosomatic therapy and specifically body therapy or am i completely missing the mark here <laughs> um so a therapist is not a magician uh, or not a clairvoyant or so. That means it's always the reaction of my, the client gives me to my assumptions that shows me if we are going into the right direction. Of course, when I have seen hundreds of patients in the clinics, I have seen thousands yeah, of different expressions of um, physical physical expressions yeah all of mimics of gestures etc and then you come begin to see patterns yeah you see patterns how borderline clients behave how depressive clients of course we know the picture of, of a depressive client yeah how emotional dependency shows in the physical shape of the body um from the ethical perspective this categorization is not um, the best way to look at things so in the 19 and beginning of the 20th century there was a, a huge categorization this is the body shape of an oral depressed the oral dependent 
personality. Yeah. And this is the same body expression that we have. We are looking in our smartphones every day. Yeah. This addiction, give me more dopamine while I'm clicking through my social networks. Yeah. Um, so there's not necessarily a connection, but it can be. And when I ask questions and I offer experiences in the process, if I'm on the right path is always in regard to the answer my client is giving me. Yeah? So the therapist is designing the process, but the patient is giving the process meaning and only the patient knows the meaning. So it's this is really important for me yeah? because the best coach or therapist is like a clear vessel who is mirroring who of course has expertise to have assumptions or ideas where things can come from, but it's always an interpersonal, interactional process. And here comes to mind what I love right now. We, we, we are in a time where everything has to be scientifically based. And when it's neurosciences, um, people love to hear more about it. So here's the term for people listening right now, interpersonal neurobiology. Interpersonal neurobiology means that our inner experiences connect with the inner experiences of other people. Daniel Siegel is it. Uh, you can look it up. We will come to the workplace discussion afterwards. But when I'm as a, uh, a therapist, this clear vessel interacting with the inner experiences of my client. Yeah. Of course, I'm high in empathy. So I experience the anxiety or I experience insecurity. And then when I design the process, I try to find safety or I try to find stability. When I perceive resistance, for example, I, I explore where is this resistance coming from? Yeah? Is it a belief? Is it an emotion? Is it a past experience? It's, it's like a dance. It's like art to understand and to explore. And why is interpersonal neurobiology working? Just to give you some examples to it. You have this mirror neurons. I loved it when I studied that, actually. So mirror neurons are specialized brain cells that fire both when we perform an action or when we observe someone else performing the same action. Yeah? So when you watch a football play and somebody gets hurt, you feel can feel the, the physical pain in your body. Yeah? Or when you um, try to, or not try, when you train in your mind, start Pianists, musicians, they play a new piece in their mind before they play it in real life on the piano. Yeah, So they train already the neurological system to exercise the, um, the practice. So mirror neurons, when I'm working with my clients, is I see a facial expression. And so I can... Um, make assumptions about the meaning and then it's the question oh do I perceive a sadness here does it resonate with you um, is there some I don't know uh, joy when you talk about your boss being hurt <laughs> is it correct yeah you 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 try to get closer by giving cues um, we also have emotional contagion. So when you see somebody who's really high stress or very angry, you can pick up unconsciously 
that emotion and mirror it back to the person. And this is just happening. We cannot control it, really. But therapists use it to solve that riddle. You know, I, I loved it so much when when you were talking or referring to um, the therapist being somehow the vessel and not just the designer of the process, but also this vessel and the therapist being then guided by um, the reaction of the patient. So either in a place of safety or in a place of resistance and somehow adapting the dance to it. And and I I was very much picturing what you were what you were describing. May I ask you to somehow describe this sort of approach um, within what you have done so far for companies or let's say to drive in general individual and organizational change? As you know that in this podcast, we tend to somehow connect the aspects such as therapy or certain types of expertise to a benefit that may result in the workplace. What is your experience of this kind of therapy in companies, in workplace settings? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to, we have different categories here. Um, individual change can cause organizational change. And organizational change causes individual change. Like we said in the beginning, everything is interconnected. We cannot separate individual parts. Um, so when I work with organizations, for example, just to give you the process of this vessel in, in action, I was giving a talk at BCG Bright House as the people organization of the international consultancy. And um, it was all about power and politics and social interactions, um, either with the employees talk, um, working in teams with each other, but also the consultants with their clients. Yeah? And it's prestigious clients, there's a lot of money involved. So of course there's power and politics in, in, in place. Um, and we were talking, exploring, and I was giving tools to um, experience being powerful from a physical perspective. So to experience the power in your body. Yeah? So you can right now just remember a situation in your life where you've been feeling really confident, huh? where you've been content with yourself, where you felt big and not small, where you felt so powerful that uh, the world is yours. Huh? Um, and this sensation, when we remember it, we can cultivate it in the present moment, even though we, we haven't felt it in this present moment before. Yeah, this is a training a training of um yeah bring bring this certain state of being into life that you want to have by remembering it when when you had it in the past and here comes now the vessel into play and we went to the experience and later in the q a i felt in the group a resistance and so i explored this resistance where is it coming from and I learned and understood and later discussed with the managing director that this um, resistance came from the feeling of guilt or of making a mistake. So 
if if you cultivate this being powerful, you make yourself vulnerable. Yeah, people can attack you when you become visible. When you stay in the shade, when you play small, you can be um, yeah like protected by it. Yeah, but when you stand up for yourself, people can attack you. Yeah, they can judge you. <laughs> they can have an opinion about you. So there was this fear, and then this is how the process goes. You first have to work with the fear. You first have to work with the interruption. You cannot go into being powerful by ignoring it. Yeah? So this is just a small, small example where um, then later on the work continued with that part. When I work with individuals, um, often they come right now in my coaching business um, with complex challenges that they don't see answers to from their state of being. And they are looking for the sparing partner, this mirroring partner to guide them to clarity and to overcome their challenges. And I had recently a couple of clients who came with anxiety in, uh, in front of presentations. So it's a similar topic, um, but with a very severe physical or perceived reaction because some of them said they feel like drowning. They feel like, they are grasping air. And when you imagine now drowning and grasping for air, it's close to dying. Yeah? And when people have this sensation, being close to dying, when they have to speak in front of management, when they have to present their KPIs in front of their leaders, this is not the most comfortable situation you want to be in. Yeah? So in the work then, um, there are different paths. One path is training them this how they can regulate their physical sensations and how they can regulate their breath, how they can regulate their mind in those situations to bring some calm in the nervous system. This is very um, tactic and more in this cause and response logic. Yeah, So I'm stressed, I'm taking deeper breaths. This is easy. Now we know that. But the other thing is um, to go for example imagine you go into the feeling of fear yeah and you make it bigger in the safe space yeah? in the safe space of the coaching and you make it bigger and you explore it and what is your body wanting to do then yeah like running away ah okay when you run away where do you where do you run to oh no matter but i just want to run <laughs> and where do you experience that in your life oh i'm running every day after work my client said i have to i have to i cannot definitely and we talked a little bit more we talked a little bit more and then there popped up a disappointment over a breakup with a, a partner she had a long-term relationship with and when we felt into this disappointment she had the same physical symptoms as in front of presentation so the unprocessed disappointment showed in a physical reaction in the business setting. And we first had to dissolve the root cause again. So what came first? The root cause was here, the disappointment, the processing of emotion, the integration of the experience to change the status quo that you wanted to change, like presenting in a confident way. Hmm. That is so. That is so interesting. And this is a question that I that I ask 
many times and, and I've asked many times over several episodes and I feel like sometimes we put a lot of unnecessary pressure on leaders but nevertheless I'm going to ask it anyway is there anything you feel leaders can do to somehow mediate along this process so you have described certain situations where you interact with employees with professionals of all sorts and help them somehow navigate through certain thoughts and and let's call them issues can leaders at work somehow help or be of support and i'm not saying replacing your role by all means but somehow helping and mediate through this conversation and uh, and let's say pick up this conversation or somehow provide support in the day-to-day at work yeah 100% they can yeah they can <laughs> but there are some preconditions needed for that the first precondition would be to listen yeah to first work on yourself when you are a leader work on yourself to not try to have an answer to everything because you are afraid to be stupid when you accept that you don't have to have an answer to everything, but you're here to facilitate a process, it's not about you, it's about the team. Yeah? Um, and you can step back a bit and accept others taking the stage and also admit that you don't have to know everything. You can really listen to the others. Yeah. You are, when you are listening to other people, you don't have in mind what your answer is to that thing, but you just stay open. So, this leads to openness yeah? and this openness is the the precondition to empathy because then i can empathize with the other person to ah this when when i am empty i can feel how you are feeling and resonate with you and when i resonate with you and then i can co-regulate so this comes number two co-regulation is a typical thing that therapists do and leaders can do it as well so co-regulating means when my team or individuals in my team are stressed out. What do I have to do as a counterpart so that their stress is lowered? When I myself am super hyper stressed, my team will be super hyper stressed. Yeah. Then it's a question of your relationship with each other. If your team is maybe co-regulating you <laughs> and your team is making the leader calm. Yeah. Um, depends on uh, the 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 environment you are in, but usually I would say that it's a role of a leader to be observe to to observe the situation, to be open, to guide the process, huh? just like I do as a coach, and to guide it into this direction that is now fruitful, yeah, that is fruitful for the team to thrive, for the company to prosper, for um, every individual to feel that they can contribute something, that they are valuable, yeah? that what you think is valuable. This is not the easiest thing to do, but usually I, I love to think in this polarities because it makes things easier. And we see it also in the world right now, the huge polarization. But when um, a team is going to the side uh, or um, moving into uh side of negativity yeah of tension of conflict of having your head against the wall you always can ask yourself where is the openness where is 
the light, whereas the um, ease in this moment right now. Yeah? And just to observe it and name what you perceive. You don't have to have the answers, like I said again, yeah? but to, to name what you observe. So this is a thing I would say that leaders can do to create a supportive team environment. Yeah. So to listen, to co-regulate, and then to look in this polarity logic. Uh, where are we now? What is the polarity? Where do we want to go right now? Where do we navigate? Does it make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And I actually think it's precious advice. And Marta, we are somehow slowly but not so slowly unfortunately heading towards you know the end of the conversation and I feel like there's so much more we can unpack and discuss and I hope very much that we can do it at some point um let me ask you as a as a final flash question so to speak what do you hope to achieve in the future with your coaching activity and specifically what do you hope to achieve within the corporate or professional environment through your coaching activity? Mm -hmm. I would really love to create a culture of more collaboration in the times we are living in right now. So this is more the bigger, bigger picture where people are in touch with their own emotions and have a certain emotional maturity to be able to navigate that. But to be able to do that, we need to work on ourselves yeah, and to be open to not only work at bigger growth, faster businesses, um, being always in action, but to slow down and to listen for a moment and to breathe for a moment and to feel what you feel for a moment. And to make that possible, I'm really dreaming of having retreats one day where really stressed out managers and stressed out founders can come together for a week or two, depends of course of their abilities to learn strategic tools that they can apply in their business to make it better. But at the same time, relax themselves, relax, reboot, uh, reboot their system, have healthy food, have workout, have meditation and a beautiful environment and nature. So just to create the spots where people can recharge, because I don't think that the world will get slower. It will get faster and it will get more exhausting because we always continue the process that we are we came from. So we need to create spaces for people to really um, yeah, recharge, slow down. Well, I mean, I... For one, I, I hope that you will obviously achieve this. I would be one of those people that uh, that uh, are definitely going to be very happy if they're if they're ever involved in uh, in a in a retreat uh, led by you. And I would I would listen to you for hours. So I I absolutely feel like this is uh, very much needed. I totally agree on the collaboration part, and I unfortunately agree with the fact that the world is not getting any slower. So I obviously, Marta, wish you the very best. I thank you once more for being here and, and sharing so much knowledge in such a short amount of time. And I very much hope that uh, we can have a similar conversation again in the future. Oh, my God. Thank you so much, Matteo. It was a pleasure to be with you. And I'm happy to talk again. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.